You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Anastasia Zadike. Anastasia is an author, editor, and narrative nonfiction storyteller. When she's not reading or writing, you'll find her practicing yoga, hiking, biking, swimming, lots of ING words in there, hanging and uh, hanging out with her husband and her empty nest rescue dog, Charlie. I want to know about Charlie. She's here today to talk about Blurred Fates, which is her first novel. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Anastasia. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, Anastasia, I'm happy to have you here. And uh, I'm curious, where does your story as a writer begin? So I would say my, my story as a writer kind of begins as a storyteller, as opposed to a writer. Um, and it, it begins back in Mount Prospect, Illinois, um, and it kind of loops back there. So it's, bear with me, it's a bit of a full circle. Um, when I was growing up, I had um, four brothers and sisters, and we often had foster children. So there was lots of kids around. And every night at dinner that, um, whenever we at least had enough time to do it, we would be given each three minutes to tell the most important or interesting thing that happened to us that day. And so with six kids around the table, um, the five of us plus a foster kid, that was you know about 20 minutes of storytelling. So it was quite a bit of storytelling every day. Um, and we learned how to tell something in a concise way with the beginning and middle and an end. <laughs> and um, I was accused of being somewhat wordy in fact, there is a, um, to this day, there was one particular story I was telling about a game we played in gym. And when I was in fifth grade with Mr. Schmidt, the gym teacher, and it involved a lot of um, logistics running to this line when he blew the whistle this many times. And to this day, my, I'll start a story and my brothers and sisters will go, is this a red line, green line story? Because <laughs> I'm known for kind of, but I think the details are important. So I tend to kind of go a little long. Um, I apologize in advance for that. And after I left home, I started, you know, I journaled all the time, took some short story classes after um, and memoir classes, but just kind of on and off and didn't really write anything that I shared beyond my classwork or my, my family um, until, this is the full circle part, I went back to the Mount Prospect area after my dad died and I wrote and delivered his eulogy. And for me, it was like telling the story of my dad. So it was, but it was the first time that I'd ever told a story 
to an audience that I didn't know everyone. And it gave me, I was very nervous. My father was a minister, so I had big shoes to fill. And, it, but it went really well. And when I came home back to San Diego, I became involved in a narrative nonfiction storytelling organization that is, the whole goal of it is to help people tell their stories and tell them better. And so they assign you a writing coach and a performance coach and you work with the other writers. And I began to do that quite a lot. I've done about 14 of them now. Um, I've become really involved in the organization. I serve on the board. I'm a writing coach. I perf do performance coaching. And that kind of led me to believe that it was okay for me to put my work out into the world. And so I began also doing more writing and wrote this book and wrote another book and then decided to go out and publish one of them. So that's, that's where we are with Blurred Fates. So. Wow. Wow. Uh, it does come full circle. Um, you know, when you were kind of growing up, what did, what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, what was writing on the, the list of things that you were interested in or what, what, what career it, aspirations did you have? It wasn't. Um, in fact, as an adult, I'm surprised at the number of things that I'm learning out that you could, I could have done. Um, didn't even know there were certain careers out there, but I was pretty destined to be either a lawyer or a doctor and um, applied, stopped with the medical route because I fainted at the sight of blood and thought that was probably going to put a bit of a damper on that career. And <laughs> focused on the lawyer part until I got to a tricky question on one of my law school applications, which was, why do you want to go to law school? And I called my brother who was a lawyer and I said, what do they want? And he said, honestly, they want to know why you want to be a lawyer. Right. I was like, I don't really have an answer. So I put that career aside and ended up working in neuropsych research. I was a psych major and oh, ended cool. up working, working in neuropsych research, pr primarily statistics, a lot mm -hmm. of statistics, report writing. And, um, and then helped write some papers, like journal papers, nothing that was fiction, yeah. close to fiction. But it, so I've always been writing a bit here and there, but um, never thought that I would be a writer. It's so interesting because I was a psych major um, and I did a lot of, I was fortunate enough to do a lot of undergraduate research um, and, and, you know, prepare a paper for a publication. It never got published. Um, Likely because, you know, the research wasn't all that complete, <laughs> but, um, you know, that was part of the, I was part of the process. Like it wasn't the expectation that this thing would, would make it to a journal. But what I learned after I left, you know, psychology was it's a different kind of writing um, when you're writing for business or when you're writing, you know, doing creative writing, like you almost have to relearn how to write um, because I think, you know, in, in academia, like more is more. But yeah. in, in the business world and, and of course, in, in, in writing uh, fiction, it's like less is kind of more, um, which is what my editors always tell me anyway, when they no, chop 100,000 words down to 80. <laughs> absolutely. And I think, you know, journal writing is there's a formula that you have yeah. to follow. And even down to the sentence level, there are certain expectations that people have when they're reading those that type of writing. Um, creative writing is just a whole different ball of wax. But yeah. I have to say that the... The short story stuff, the narrative nonfiction is all short. It's five to six pages. And it did teach me to be really careful with words I chose because yeah. you have to be. There's you're you're trying to tell a whole story in 10 minutes. Um, yeah. and with a novel, you get a lot more latitude. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. So what was that transition like going from you know narrative, you know, nonfiction to 
writing uh, writing a novel, going from five pages to you know, two hundred and eighty five pages. What was that like for you? You know, it's it's an interesting thing. I did not um, when I first set out to write this book. Um, I didn't really have. I'm a, a seat of the pants writer as opposed to a plotter, and so. I, I kind of just sat down and started like fleshing out the characters and had some ideas about what might happen to them and did one of those what if scenarios and then just played it out. And um, I almost treated each chapter in the first draft like a little story, which in some ways was good because it read like a beginning, middle, end. The problem was that it ended each chapter ended and there wasn't a whole lot of incentive to turn the page because it felt complete yeah. by itself so in the second draft i actually i went to a writers conference in between um the first and the second draft of the story and the keynote gave this advice that you should end each chapter with some type of incentive to turn the page it can it doesn't have to be a cliffhanger but there has to be something that makes them go there's a question here. There's something unresolved here. I don't know what's going to be happen next. I want to turn the page and find out. And so in the second writing, it, it, I had to take out some of the, the bows and, and not have everything kind of end with an end. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. So tell me what's, uh, what's Blurred Fates about? So Blurred Fates is fundamentally a story about a woman who is trapped by the things that she doesn't talk about. And um, there's an inciting incident in her life that puts her in this uncomfortable position because if she, she believes that if she tells why this event triggers her so much, that if she gives her history to her husband, he won't want to be with her. But if she doesn't tell him, it's destroying her from the inside out. And so she's sort of trapped in this space of watching her life fall apart in an effort to not let her wife life fall apart. Um, so that's basically what it's about. And it's about the interplay between nature and nurture and how we're all the product, not only of um, our own DNA and the environment we grew up in, but that we're also the product of those with whom we interact. Their nature and nurture interacts with ours and it gets all blurry. So that's the title, Blurred Fates. Oh, that's um, really cool. It comes cool. from a poem towards the end of the book. Oh, so. neat. Very hmm. neat. Yeah, no, I um, you know, I remember just you know, talking psychology before, just the, the, the old nature-nurture debates. Um, you know, I remember uh, studying a lot of research on that back in, back in my undergraduate days anyway. It's really, really fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah. So did did you do anything to pursue the psych stuff after college? You no, know, I was set to get my PhD, and really? um, somebody told me, yeah, and no, I was gonna I was gonna go into the clinical field, and somebody told me, no, why don't you work for a year before you go back to school? You've been in school your entire life. You know, the PhD in clinical is like seven years. Yeah. Um. You know, it's almost twice your undergraduate. So I said, okay, I'll get a job. Um. So I I got a job working in advertising. And um, fell in love with working in advertising. Um, I, I was uh, in, a, in a group that did market research where I, so I was using all my statistical background from psychology to, you know, not help people, um, you know, with illnesses or anything. But, you know, I was helping, uh, you know, brands, um, you know, do smarter things with advertising. And I saw my first focus group 
you know, back in 1996. And I'm like, God, that looks like group therapy, but this guy's having a lot more fun and nobody's crying. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I said, you know, I had this aha moment where that's what I wanted to do. So I became a focus group moderator and, um, you had a great, great career with it. Um, you know, and still, still dabble in it to this day, um, as a way of, uh, you know, paying the bills, so to speak. But, so you um, clearly just you're very interested in people and what they think. Very interested in people and what they think. I yeah. think that's that's the thing that connects the two, you know, the two parts of it. I that's what Germany psychology is. I like to know how people think, how they, how the mind affects the body, how people make decisions they make. And now I'm doing it for much less altruistic reasons. But um, but again, it uh, it pays the bills, and I didn't have to spend you know seven eight years doing a uh, <laughs> graduate and a postdoc. Well, in a but way, I, in a way, yeah. I did a similar thing in the sense. Well, I I worked in neuropsych, but um, I worked in the field of memory. It was we were studying um, memory disorders, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontotemporal dementia, that sort of thing. But we were also kind of looking at how memories are formed and how they're mis how mis things are often misremembered and then stored in the misremembered way and. Um, I kind of did my psych degree writing these, writing this book and the other book, which have psychological themes and yeah. enabled me to kind of do that exploration about how people become who they are and why do they think the way they do, um, but through writing instead of through studying. So, yeah. yeah. So I think we're all just drawn back to whatever it is we're drawn to, you know? Yeah, I think we are, but I think there's there's a natural curiosity that comes with you know wanting to to study in in that specific field, and, but there's also a natural curiosity that writers have. Um, it's like one of the one of the superpowers I think that writers have is they're naturally curious individuals. Um, just thinking about how how an everyday, you know, just think about how many stories are based on an everyday encounter um, that somebody just followed to like the nth degree. Um, to me, that's that's fascinating to have the, the ability to see the world in maybe a slightly different way also is, uh, again, a, a superpower uh, for, for those of us who use the pen to sometimes make a living. Absolutely. Um, it's so, also great because everything that happens to you in life is material. So there's never like it's, it's, it teaches you a lesson or like I can turn something and encounter at a coffee shop into a story. Yeah. Um, I once turned a sign at a, on a subway into a story because the sign was so interesting. It said, only, only happy people can sit here. And it was an ad for orange juice. And I remember thinking, was the person sitting there happy? And then I started noticing all the people in the subway and, and ended up writing a short story about the people on that car, yeah. in that car. Um, and it's just like life is, it's always there. There's always stories all around you. I think that's a, that's a great exercise to give people. I, I have to do a um, sort of a creative writing workshop uh, later this summer into the floor of the fall. I can't even remember um, with, with market researchers who want to get better at writing reports. Uh, and then one of the exercises I'm, I'm giving them is to, to, you know, leave the workshop to, to go do some kind of activity and then write a story about it when they get back um, just to see what they notice, what they observe, how they can follow their own curiosity. And then to figure out how to do that with, you know, data and, um, and observations from other types of research. So, um, yeah. so there well, you go. Uh, tell me about the publishing process for this. What route did you go? Did you go the independent route? Did you, did you find an agent? How did you, uh, what was the journey like there? So I wrote this book about 10 years ago and I initially tried to go the traditional route, but I was very bad at the agent process. I, um, it kind of comes from, I, I grew 
I grew up sort of um, as a people pleaser. Um, and so I, I would write to an agent and sometimes they would write me back and they'd say, can I have part of the manuscript or a couple of times the whole manuscript? And I would send it to them and then I would wait until they wrote me back. And then I would write to the next one. And, but you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to send it out to, you know, 80, hundred people at once or in, in like phases. And it's supposed to be sort of a quick process. And I was dragging it out where, you know, I was giving people six months before I even wrote them back to say, are you still interested? Um, <laughs> so it took me about four years until I kind of said, oh, I guess it's not working. And then somebody said to me, well, how many people have you written? I said like 12. And they were like, well, you, you just started. And I was already just discouraged. So I put it away. I put it in a drawer and I thought, you know, first book belongs in a drawer. And then I went to a writer's conference on voice, finding your vo uh, voice. And I was in a workshop and the, the instructor was reading to us from poetry and she read us some Mary Oliver and she was talking about how you can identify her voice right away. And so she asked if people had anything with them, if they'd be willing to read it so that we could assess voice. And I read, um, I said that I would read and there was a couple of people that read before me. And then, you know, we talked about ways that they could, in, you know, enhance the voice, et cetera, et cetera. And then I read the first few pages of this book and there was dead silence in the room. And I thought, oh my God, thank God I put it in a drawer. And then somebody started clapping and then everyone started clapping. And I was oh my like, gosh. oh my gosh. And then somebody was like, well, where is it? When can we get it? And I was like, oh no, it lives in a drawer. It's never coming out. And so they all encouraged me in this class to pull it back out and figure out what was wrong with it and, and fix it. And so it did that. And I worked with an, a developmental editor um, that was formerly with one of the big five publishing companies. And she did a you know, close read and sent me back like six pages of notes. And I did all of those. And then I gave it out to beta readers. And then I did another revision. And so it's been in revision probably for the last five years. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, I wrote a second book and then decided to go, rather than starting all over with the uh, agent process, decided to go with a hybrid publisher that is all women. Um, I'm a smithy, so um, the all women thing is lives strong in me. And <laughs> what was the yeah, name of the publisher? It's She Writes Press. Oh, sure. I know She Writes Press. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, so my project manager is a woman, the publisher is a woman, all my editors were women. And I'm not dissing men, trust me, I, you know, but I, I like that. I, it, it feels really, um, I like the idea of women supporting women in business. And this was one way that I felt like I was doing that. And it seemed like a good fit. Um, I get a little more control and a lot of the expectations, even of the traditional publishers now are that authors do a lot of their own marketing. So I that mean, part didn't really bother me that I was not, gonna have to do that. Not just a lot of your own marketing. I mean, 90% of your own marketing. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. So that's the part I'm in now and that's a, a new world, um, but I'm learning a lot and I'm a firm believer in always trying to learn, keep, you know, keeps me not young, but. <laughs> younger. <laughs> what did you learn about sort of going through this very long process for your first book that you can take to uh, your second book? I think that the, 
one of the biggest things I learned was to not be afraid to let go of parts of the book that aren't working that I feel were important, but the only one who knows they're there is me. Yeah. And that's something that I actually learned from writing narrative nonfiction because I, when I work with other writers and when, and, and, and when I have my coaches working with me and they say, you know, this part I, for this story, you could put that in another story, but for this story, it's not adding enough to take up that space. And it would be more important for you to put in more about this or how, how this impacted you. And at first there was this resistance. And then I would say, but I really like it. And, 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 but I realized that no one knew it was not there. When I read the final story, no one knows what I took out. And so that was a really important lesson for me to be less attached to, um, to what I've written and to be able to hear from someone else. Yeah, that's a nice sentence, but it really doesn't, it's not moving the story forward. And it's not planting a seed for something that's going to happen later. So you really don't need it. And um, so I think that I'm going to be better at the editing process, um, the self-editing process. Um, and then I've also learned it's really, really critical to, even though I, I have a copy editing certificate, it's really important to turn it over to someone else. Yeah, You can't copy edit your own stuff. It's, no, not at all. Not at impossible. all. Yeah. yeah. So those are my two lessons. There you go. Two lessons yeah. learned. Um, good lessons. Uh, you know, hard lessons you have to learn the hard way. I'd say. I think so. For yeah. me, it was uh, something yeah. I had to learn. Somebody. I mean, people were telling me that the whole time, and it wasn't until I, you know, I think when I sent it out to the first copy editor and I got it back, and I was like, "Wow, these are really good changes." <laughs> I was like, "Of course they are." Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to the uh, La Jolla Writers Conference out out your way? I have. That was the one that I was at where I read the little portion of the Hawaii Writers Conference. You know, I don't know what it is about San Diego. I was supposed to go to that four or five years ago. So I hired um, Jared and Antoinette Kuritz, who run that yeah. conference, to yeah, I know them. Yeah, to, um, to do some PR for one of my books a, a few years ago. And, um, you know, I was going to come out to the conference, but something happened. I don't know. I mean, this well, well before COVID, but something happened. I couldn't go. And um, I regretted that because I had, I think, three agents lined up who wanted to, to talk to me about um, my submissions. And uh, so much of so much of like finding an agent, I think, is going to those events and networking with people so that you're not just going to wind up in this lush pile, which you still might anyway. But yeah, um, no, it's and then I never I, then then COVID did happen. And you know, they told me I could come at a later date because yeah, I still paid the full the full amount, but. We'll, uh, we'll see if I ever make it back, but uh, it seems like a great event. Well, so I am involved. I'm the director of operations for the San Diego Writers Festival, which is um, here in San Diego. It started about four years ago, right before COVID. We had our first event was live, and then the last two have been um, all virtual. But this year we're going back live. So um, we should chat about that later. If yeah, sure. Yeah. And do, a, do something with us at the festival. No, that'd be fun. Me, I'd me. love that. Yeah, we partner with Warwick's Bookstore in La Jolla mm -hmm. and with the Coronado Public Library, which is where we have all of our live events. Yeah, and I'm doing more uh, live events like this. Um, I should say doing more. I'm starting to do live events with, with this podcast. And I've been thinking about going to bookstores to do some of these events too. So um, we'd love to chat more about that. But, yeah, yeah. Before we talk, talk more about me, we have to talk more about you. 
so I'm curious. These are some of the fun questions I ask everybody. But uh, Anastasia, what were some of your favorite TV shows when you were a kid? Oh, gosh. Okay. So hmm, my favorite TV show, two favorite TV shows were right after school. And I would come home. My mom was a teacher at our school. So we would all come home from school and we would have a snack because we were growing kids, I guess. And um, our typical snack was a fluff or nutter sandwich, which is peanut butter and fluff on white bread. It is basically oh, yeah. the most unhealthy thing. You that, can that's great. For, that's great for your sugar levels. Right. And <laughs> we would watch Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch. And um, I saw every one of them multiple times. I'm sure we memorized the theme songs we i can probably sing it just sit okay. right back and you'll hear a tale a tale of a faithful ship yep <laughs> and in fact um last saturday i was with my brother and sister-in-law and we were doing a, a tour of a city we'd never been to on bikes and the guy said it's a two-hour tour and my brother and i both went uh three hours <laughs> like it's like it's ingrained in your brain you so, know um, gilligan's island and the brady bunch uh, are two shows when i when i ask this question um very common shows that people mention and i'm trying to think like what is it about these shows that that just just speak to people so well gilligan's island i think it's just the the six different characters in a you know a situation they can't get out of which i still rack my brain around how they could not get off that island. If you could make a coconut, you know, a radio out of a coconut, <laughs> somebody can make a boat, but nevertheless. And they um, had a professor. I mean, come I on. I know, I know. <laughs> Although he did have a bit of a drinking problem, but that was off screen. Um, but it was a great cast of characters, uh, certainly not a diverse cast of characters, but um, it was uh, just a fun, funny show. Funny show. And Brady Bunch, too. It's like, uh, my wife, I call her a Brady Bunchologist. Like she knows every episode of the Brady Bunch. She can quote it like chapter and verse. Like people can chap, you know, you quote scripture. But yeah, well, it's sort of this wholesome storytelling about a family. Like, and it was like it was kind of edgy back then. It was a yeah. blended family, and um, it's just it's. I think it was it's it's funny because I was thinking about. Um, when I was listening to your previous podcast, I was thinking about this question and I thought about the fact that it actually shaped some of my storytelling in a way, some of those early um, experiences with half hour shows yeah. where there's, it's, it's a whole story. Like nowadays, a lot of TV shows are series. And so you, you, you it's like a, the whole, the whole um, season is telling a story back then, you know, in a half an hour, you got all of it. And there was the beginning, the middle, the end, and there was always a moral when the Brady Bunch, something, somebody learned something. And don't, don't play ball in the house. Right. right. <laughs> or Carpe I, Diem. I remember the one about the, or let the buyer beware, or whatever that one was about the car that yeah. Greg buys. Um, right. He buys, buys a lemon. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think you have, you're onto something with, with how they used to write sitcoms and TV shows back in the day, because you could, you could pretty much watch an episode of the Brady Bunch or Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island without having to have seen any other episode. Yep. Now it's like you're everything, you're right. Everything's a serial or everything builds on each other. Um, it, it almost is like storytelling is gonna, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, there's some great shows out there. Oh yeah. Um, but it's not as easy as, as it was, I'd say. 
Yeah, and it's kind of, it's also changed. I think it's made like the series has sort of supplanted movies in some ways because you can go deeper into characters than you could in two hours, but it gives you that freedom of of writing in little pieces like a sitcom, but it's part of this much grander story. Yeah. Um, But yeah, anyway. Anyway, uh, how about this musical artists? Um, if we were to look into um, like your playlists, uh, if you assuming you have playlists um, or mixtapes, uh, if you're my age, <laughs> um, <laughs> what artists, what musical artists would we find you listening to? So you would probably be like this person's either schizophrenic. You know, it's very eclectic. I am. Um, I'm an equal opportunity listener. I'm horrible at naming bands. Like. My husband knows every band and he'll say, well, and I'll say, who's this? And I'll be like, are you kidding? This is the who. I'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I listen to, it depends what I'm doing. Um, my activity determines my music. So we have a rowing machine in the garage. If I'm rowing, I listen to um, this really irritating music that's from TikTok, a TikTok thing. And the artist is Doja Cat. I had to look oh, it up. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Doja Cat. And I just listen to it on repeat until, because I know exactly how long the song is. So I know how many times I have to listen to it before I can get off the rower. And, but I would never, I don't listen to that when I'm walking. There's a different, I listen to soundtracks from movies or musicals when I'm walking. When I am writing, I listen, tend to listen to like classical music. I have, I have a, a whole playlist called Soothing Music. And then I have a subset of that called favorite soothing music. And it's only like four songs and I can listen to them over and over. And um, they just sort of put me in a, it's, they kind of, they, they help my brain to get on a different wavelength from yeah. everything else. And it's sort of like a signal to my brain. Like when you're listening to this, you let go about the outside world and, and it, it's almost like a signal, I guess, yeah. What's, uh, you mentioned movie soundtracks. I, I can't let you go without asking what your favorite movie soundtrack is. Okay, so currently I'm listening to two. One is The Greatest Showman. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, love Jackie. that one. Yeah. And and then I listen to um, Pride and Prejudice, oh, the, wow. the most recent one, um, which has some beautiful piano music. I play the piano, so it, it inspires me. And um, so those are the two that I'm listening to right now. But I kind of go back and forth on that. Um, I also love La La Land. The oh, great. I love La La Land soundtrack. La La Land. I love that soundtrack. Just Isn't that opening great? number. Just that opening number when they're in traffic. Yes. Um, you cannot be one, in a bad mood. The, the one where they're in their planetarium, it's more of a classical piece. Um, that blows me away every time I see it. I mean, just the, the score of that is just so damn beautiful. It is. It is. And the song, like... This the first time I saw the, the the movie, the song that she sings at the end about her grandmother, just to me as a writer, it was it, it spoke to me because it's about the creative people often seem odd to others, but it's the dreamers that 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 change the dreamer that that's such a beautiful, beautiful song. Isn't it gorgeous? That's a beautiful so. song. I saw that movie twice in the theaters and I don't I mean, I rarely see movies in the theaters, period anymore, but. I mean, I was so compelled to see that movie a second time in the theater because it was such a beautiful, um, beautiful story. You know, it doesn't have the happy ending that you think it might have, no. but just the music and the art to it. It's like old Hollywood to me and yeah. Hollywood when it was, um, you know, I don't want to say more innocent because I don't think it ever was, but 
Um, it was just maybe more simple. I don't know. It's just a great, I love that movie. And I'm actually a fan of not, a, I'm, I'm a fan of not having a totally happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, that ending was um, more realistic. I yeah. Mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. Because they can, and it also told me you can have a happy life in multiple ways. That's right. If 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 I didn't have this life, chances are I'd be happy in a different life. But it wouldn't be obviously I wouldn't want to change this one because I have the people I have in my life. But yeah, but the beauty of it is they give you the glimpse of what their life could have been like, and then they just yeah. take it away from you. Wasn't um, it? I know it was. Which was, it was but, shot in this. Like, they broke a rule. They broke a rule, and I love people yeah. who break rules. Um, yeah. To me, that was it was a great movie. I'll I'll stand yeah. up for it to to the day I die. Um, <laughs> so, how do you feel when you're looking at a blank piece of paper? Um, that depends. If I'm on a deadline, it's a little scary. But if it's just a piece of paper or a blank screen that I get to play with, um, I would say that the biggest the thing I'm feeling the most is curiosity as where is this going to go? Because I'm often surprised by my, what I write. Um, I start out thinking I'm going to write about something. And I, if I really let myself go, it's, it's almost like I tell myself what it is I need to be writing about that day. Um, sometimes it doesn't turn into anything, but sometimes it does. And it's like, oh, I, if you had asked me the day before, would you have written that? I would, no. I mean, I, it, it, it's like it's in that moment that I'm able to to go somewhere with yeah. my thoughts. And so it's always I'm always a little curious, like, where is this going to what is where is this going to take me? Yeah. yeah. Um, how about this uh, advice you would give an aspiring author? Someone comes up to you and says, you know, I want to I want to do what you do. What would you tell them? Um, again, it probably depends on the day. If I'm having I'd say don't. No, I'm only kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I run away. I would, <laughs> what's your other job choice? Um, no, I would honestly, I, I think I would say that trust in yourself for that very reason that I just talked about it again in terms of the, the, the page in front of you. View it as an opportunity to, to let your voice out and to trust what, what you feel you should trust your voice, trust your own writing process. So many people I think feel that they have to sit down and they have to write like this person or they have to write this kind of project. And I think sometimes your writing leads you to what you should be doing. Um, if, if you, I mean, there are times when I don't have the energy to work on a book or, or a short story. And I, I just feel like I, today, I'm just gonna sit down and write a poem. It's just, that's what I feel like I need. And I've taken just a few poetry classes that have given me enough I don't ever share poetry, but it's just gives me that outlet, that creative outlet. And sometimes then that informs the next thing that I'm, that I need to do with a book or with a st short story. Um, Cause I've let my mind kind of go in a different direction. Um, we're with less expectations of, of writing this thing right now, which, as I said, on a deadline, I'm horrible. So um, yeah. That's what I would say is let your voice come out however it's going to come out and trust yourself. Now think about, um, you know, that, that little girl sitting around the table who's got to pitch a story to the family about what happened that day in, in four or five minutes. Um, 
and think about yourself at that age and imagine you could write a letter to that younger self. What would you, what kind of advice or what kind of reassurances would you give your younger self? Oh man. Okay. Um, that little girl sitting on the table. I would tell her that, you know, your stories are good. Like they're okay. Even though your family is telling you to stop. No, I'm kidding. Um, that, that it's, and it's actually, it's, it's kind of funny because I think that that was my first exposure to constructive criticism. Um, my, I am so lucky in that my four brothers and sisters are some of my best friends to this day. And I think that part of it was that we were, that we did that, that even though there was um, the age difference between my youngest and oldest brother was seven years. And that's a pretty big age difference when you're three and 10 or five and sure. 12 or whatever. But we all were interested in each other's lives because we did that exercise. And um, so I would say to my younger self, like, yeah, you, you don't have to tell the perfect story. You can tell a story and it can be a first crummy first draft. And, um, and that's okay. And not everyone's going to like every story you tell. It's, you're going to find your readers or your listeners and they're out there. So that's what I would tell her. When you were around the table and you uh, couldn't think of anything that happened that day, I mean, was it within the rules that you could just make up a story out of thin air or no? Like, could you get, cre could you get creative with the stories? I, never or? Did that. I, I was such a good girl. I never did that. But, um, but I guess you could have. We could have. Nobody would have known. Maybe they did. Maybe my brothers and sisters did. I'm going to have to ask them next right. time I see them. Did you all make up stories? <laughs> all right. <laughs> Did, did, did you really fly in a helicopter on the way home from school today? Because I'm thinking about it more now and it doesn't seem like it makes much sense. I think there, there were definitely elaborations. I think that people took some liberty with um, details. As my grandfather was a, a famous storyteller and he, he spun all kinds of yarns that we later found out were totally not true. Um, <laughs> we all believed that he jumped off of a ship in a swan dive with his shoes tied to his head and a Bowie knife in his teeth. And I believed that until I was an adult. And I said something to my dad about it. And he was like, well, you know, that was a story. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I called all my brothers and sisters. And I was like, none of us, all of us believed this story that my grandfather told us. Oh my um, gosh. He also told us that he was born on the 4th of July because he was a, he was an immigrant from Latvia and he wasn't, but he felt like he, his life started over when he came here. So he took the 4th of July is his birthday. And um, I just remember thinking that he always, he always had the best birthday celebrations and how lucky was he, right? But it turned out that it was all manipulated. <laughs> so I think we all got a little bit of that elaboration like technique from our grandfather. So I'm, I would not be surprised if there were some, if there was some fiction being <laughs> well, created certainly. at that dinner table. <laughs> certainly. So are those hydrangeas behind you uh, over your, uh, your left they, shoulder there? They are nice my yard. Yes. Yeah. They're not out. They're not, they're not at where I am yet, but uh, they come out later in the summer for us. Yeah. We have, we have a, a fairly consistent growing season here in that there's different plants for different times of year, but early May till yeah, in, well into the summer, the hydrangeas will keep going. And you can clip them back and they'll come back a second time here in San Diego. So no, that's great. We're really that's lucky. Great. Yeah, really lucky. Well, very good. Anastasia, if there are people out there who want to know more about you, do you have a website or social media you want to share? I do. My website is AnastasiaZadike.com, which 
I wish it was a different, easier name to remember, but that's what it is. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Goodreads and Twitter, though I don't really tweet, um, at Anastasia Zadig. Well, there so you go. All one word. And we will put all of that in the show notes for you listeners who uh, can't write it all down quickly enough. You could just go to the show notes and all the links will be there. So, And since and there might be a vid- visual of this, oh, of course, YouTube, this is the book. There it is. Yeah. Blurred Fates. Blurred Fates. And there's the name, which is impossible to spell. <laughs> well, it uh, it was very fun talking to you, Anastasia. And it's great uh, talking to you too. I wish you all the best with the book. Thank you so much. It was really nice chatting with you too. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.